0: You're listening to the Writers at Warwick podcast. Jacqueline Wilson is one of the most successful children's authors in the UK and is the most borrowed author from public libraries. In this podcast, recorded as part of the Writers at Warwick series, Jacqueline talks about how she started out, the origins of her most famous character, Tracy Beaker, and her book, The Suitcase Kid. Warwick Arts Centre is currently showing Vicky Ireland's critically acclaimed stage adaption of The Suitcase Kid. This funny and touching story will be running until the 30th of December 2007. Tickets are available at www.warwickartscentre.co.uk
1: Really from about the age of six, I've always known I wanted to be a writer and used to write these little stories in Woolworths exercise books. And um, I felt shy of telling everybody that I wanted to be a writer. But this was my biggest, biggest ambition. And when I was at my primary school, the teachers there did make quite a fuss of me about my actual story writing. I certainly wasn't a a sort of particularly shining pupil in any other kind of way. I was lamentably bottom of class at maths. I was also always the very last girl chosen whenever we had to pick teams for any sports session. But at least I was picked out for my ability to write stories. Then I went on to secondary school, and obviously it's a big step. It's very different when you go to a great big new school. And the school I went to at the age of 11, um, it was brand new school. It had only been open a couple of years, and I didn't know anybody else that was going there, which was a bit nerve-wracking in itself. And I thought, trying to be positive, well, okay, it's brand new school, maybe this is a chance for me to be a brand new person to match. And maybe suddenly something will go click inside my brain and I will actually learn how to do all these maths problems and actually become... Good at maths, And maybe I'll become somehow or other able to catch a ball, able to run fast. You become sports captain. And so I went off to my new school with all these mad expectations. And not surprisingly, I still was bottom of the class at maths. I still was totally useless at sports. But much more disconcertingly, suddenly I didn't seem to be any good at story writing whatsoever. Now, I liked my English teacher, though I was a bit afraid of her. She was a very, very strict, old-fashioned teacher. But she certainly, she saw that I loved reading, and I didn't come from a very bookish background at all. And she recommended different titles that she thought I could manage and enjoy. And I was deeply grateful to her for this. But when it came to marking my essays, she was so fierce, so mean, in that I'd get them back with a really low mark. And she'd practically write an essay herself in that red teacher's marking pen. And she put all these comments like, um, slang, too colloquial, I don't like your tone, Jacqueline this is highly unsuitable, see me, exclamation mark. And I got very, very downhearted. Now, I rather think if I gave Dear Miss Pierce one of my published books, if she was still alive, um, she'd read half a paragraph, reach for that red pen and go, slang, too colloquial, I don't like your tone, this is not appropriate. I just wasn't writing the sort of things that that Miss Pierce would ever have appreciated. And so, rather sadly, I I sort of shut up about saying I wanted to be a writer. And it was my mum's idea that I leave school at 16 and get a training. So I went off to do this year's training at the local uh, technical college, I was very bored. I didn't really like shorthand and typing. And towards the end of the course, I did think, oh, help, now I've got to get a job and my speeds aren't very good. I got the London Evening Standard, which had lots of jobs vacant in the back pages, looked through trying to find somebody that wanted a very junior shorthand typist with bad speeds. And I suddenly saw this advert outlined in black saying, wanted, teenage writers and I thought gosh well I'm a teenager and I very very badly want to be a writer so I wrote off to the box office number and got this whole pack of information now this was from the Scottish publishing firm DC Thompson's who who published lots of newspapers um, lots of magazines and lots of children's comics like the Beano and the Dandy And they had decided they wanted to bring out a brand-new, full-colour teenage magazine. And they needed to sort of get material for the next six months, nine months, until they were ready to launch the magazine. And they said in the information pack that they wanted beauty tips, fashion hints, and romantic short stories. Well, I thought long and hard about this. Beauty tips. Well, I didn't have any beauty tips. I was certainly no beauty myself. I wore makeup. I bought the cheapest stuff I could find from Boots the Chemist, shoved it on my face, washed it off at night. That was my beauty routine. Well, you couldn't really write many articles about that. Fashion hints. Um that was a bit of a no-go area too because though I had a Saturday job, I didn't actually earn enough money to buy my own clothes. So my mum bought them for me. And mum's idea of what 16, 17-year-old girls should wear are not the same as that actual 16, 17-year-old girl. I felt deeply embarrassed for some of the ladylike outfits that my mum chose for me. I wanted to wear all black and be a beatnik. And so... Um, I certainly didn't feel qualified to write anything about fashion. So that left the romantic short stories. Well, I loved writing. I'd been writing all the way throughout my school days. Um, and had written a lot of short stories. But the one thing they weren't was romantic. Um, I don't know. I've, I've got... I don't know what it is, but whenever I try and write a serious love scene, I get the giggles. And I can't write the conventional sort of love thing where, you know, the heroine gazes into the tall, dark, handsome hero's eyes and just says, oh, you're so wonderful, all this. I just can't do it. I had a go and I realised it was rubbish. So then I thought, in a slightly odd way, why am I trying to write all these different things that they're saying that they want? Why don't I be a bit daring and write the sort of thing that I would like to read in a teenage magazine and I always like to read a sort of true life account of of what life is really like say for a teenager how exciting it can be and yet also how terribly embarrassing it can be too. So I wrote this article, heavily based on my own life and my own friends, about a girl going to her first posh dance and how she goes with all her friends from school and everybody spends hours beforehand doing each other's hair, trying on each other's first high heeled shoes. And and then when you're out on the dance floor, eyeing up all the boys. And then my, my best friend got asked up to dance by a boy. And then my second best friend got asked up to dance by a boy. And suddenly I was the one girl left standing with nobody but nobody coming my way to dance with me and I don't know how long this situation went on in my memory it seems to have been the entire evening and it was as if there was an arrow above me the sad girl that nobody wants to be with and it was very very painful so I wrote about this sort of sending myself up and to my astonishment I sent it off two days later I got a letter back saying that they liked my story and wanted to buy it. They wanted to pay me £3. Now, in those long-ago days in the 1960s, still £3 wasn't a lot of money. But I can truthfully say I don't think I've ever earned any money since. This meant so much to me, because it meant that someone somewhere actually liked my work and wanted to pay money. (laughs) And if I could have seen into the future and seen that there would be at least 90 novels with my name on, it just would so have astonished me. But although there are all these 90 children's books, although some of them aren't in print anymore, um, a lot of titles to choose from, generally speaking, if somebody says my name, there's just one particular novel and one particular character that people think of. And I don't mind this because of all the characters that I've made up, this particular character is the one who so needs to be the center of attention. She's a terrible show off. She, she so, so needs to feel that, that she is the best at everything. But this is basically, because she's had a tough time. And she, when she was little, she had to cope with all sorts of things. And um, she's going through quite a hard time in her life when I started writing the first story about her. And um, how, if she were real, how she would glory in the fact that now her name has become very well known. There are now three books about her. There have been five very successful television series about her. There have been not one but two magazines about her. And now there's a great deal of merchandising. You can get notebooks with her name and face on, pens, umbrellas, china, dressing gowns, girls. You can even get knickers with her name and face on. Um, So who has any idea who I might be talking about? Who? Who? Tracy Beaker, absolutely. From seeing photos in the local paper of all these kids stuck in children's homes, desperate to be fostered or adopted, I knew I wanted to write about this from a child's point of view. And um, I knew I had to have a really fierce, feisty little girl who could fight her own battles, because she doesn't have anybody to fight them for her. And right from the start, I always like to name my main character. It's very important. It's a way of making them real to me. And I had this image of this child in my head, and I knew I just wanted to write her story. And I knew more or less straight away that she had to be called Tracy because it just sounded a modern, bouncy, contemporary sort of name. So, okay, that was Tracy. And I knew that I wanted the book to be called The Story of Tracy And then I wanted her surname, her last name. But I don't know, I've been pondering this a day or two and just couldn't come up with a sensible sounding surname, but had that kind of quirkiness to make it stick in people's minds and to appeal to me. And then I was thinking about this the next morning when I was having a bath. Now, I don't know if any of you like to daydream in your baths. I'm a terrible daydreamer wherever I am, but I particularly take my time in the bath. And there I was, I'd soaked myself, I lay back in the bathwater, and I thought, what am I going to call my Tracy? What is her surname going to be? And I looked idly round the steamy bathroom, and I thought, shall I call her Tracy Soap, Tracy Flannel, Tracy Tap? Tracy Toothpaste, Facey Toilet. I mean, the ideas got sillier and sillier. And I sort of gave myself little talking to, saying, come on, get on with things. You are never, ever going to find a good surname in the bathroom. You're being ridiculous. So I got on with washing my hair. And then I don't have any elaborate shower system or whatever. When I rinse my hair, I keep an old Snoopy beaker on the end of the bath, and I just hold this under the taps and sort of sluice my hair like this. So I reach for the Snoopy beaker and suddenly thought, Tracy Beaker. And there, that is how Tracy got her name. But it's still a book very close to my heart. And I do get lots and lots of um, letters still from children who've read The Suitcase Kid. Um, Not just children of divorced parents, because The Suitcase Kid is about this girl, Andy, who's looking quite miserable on the cover because mum and dad are split up. And she so badly wants mum and dad to stay together so they can all live in Malbury Cottage and everything would be the way it used to be. But sadly, no, this isn't going to work. So that Andy has to live one week with her mum and her new partner and his children and one week with her dad and his new partner and her children. And it's... Very difficult indeed for Andy, going backwards and forwards. She now doesn't have her own room. She doesn't have her own space. She just has one particular constant thing in her life, which has become more and more special to her, because um, she just feels that everything else has changed. This, is the one thing, is the little toy that she just needs to hang on to. Anybody here know? What sort of little toy it is? Yes. It's radish. And what kind of um, animal is radish? A rabbit. Now we have to go to this temporary rabbit hutch in my handbag. And I will now produce the real radish. Radish often gets her own fan mail. I get letters addressed to Ms Radish Wilson. Um, She's currently wearing a little bead necklace that some child made her. I frequently get little Sylvanian chums sent to Radish. One Christmas a few years ago, a huge great parcel arrived, but very light. When I opened it up, it was an entire doll's house that a little girl had made herself with different rooms, for radish and there was even a bookcase and um, and when you took out each tiny book you know one would be called lettuce tales or something like that it was just the most exquisite thing and it just meant so much to me that some child must have spent day after day after day making this lovely lovely house just especially for me so radish is the most cosseted rabbit ever and um, I was I was delighted that when the the suitcase kid is going to open here as a play next week and i've been to see it when it was done in richmond near where i live and there is not only a very similar radish to this but also in andy's kind of fantasies you you have radish about this big who is very, very lovely. And it was particularly gorgeous watching the audience. There were some really quite small kids there who would wave to Radish like this. It was very, very touching. Um, I'm so lucky that Vicky Ireland adapts my books into plays because she is just the perfect person for any author because she always respects the book. And she knows that when children go to see a play based on a book, they don't really like too many changes. They simply feel, well, you've got it wrong. It wasn't like that in the book. So Vicky sticks to the, the plot of the book, but she adds all these extra special details, and it just makes it come magically alive. And um, she's, she um, directs and does all the casting too, and I'm so thrilled with the actors, particularly the, the actors playing Andy and Katie, who is Andy's stepsister and her worst enemy. And I was also interested to see how she was going to do the adaptation because it's not a particularly easy book. Um, It's not sort of totally told chronologically. It's done in sections for every letter of the alphabet, which I thought was a lovely, interesting new way of writing a book instead of keeping to boring old chapters. In actual fact, as I got through halfway through the story, I mean, fine at the beginning, A is for Andy, B is for bathroom, C is for cottage, all these nice things pertinent to the plot. Then when you get to the Qs and the Vs and the X, Y, Z's, I really got stuck. But I did get artful with Zed, because I thought, right, zoos are not going to feature in this story, zebras, ditto. We want some way of rounding the story off. And as you go throughout the book, one of the things that is really upsetting Andy is that Dad and his new partner, Carrie, are going to have a new baby – And Andy is is appalled at this. I mean, she's had enough to cope with. And then when the baby is born, it's a little girl. And Andy is particularly upset at this because she has been dad's little girl and she now feels that dad just won't want anything to do with her at all. But dad insists on taking Andy to the hospital to see Carrie with the new baby. And Andy is pretending all the time, I'm not interested, it's up to you, it's it's nothing to do with me, this baby. And then when, when she gets there, there's Carrie with the baby in her arms. And she gives the baby to Andy to hold. And Andy, I mean, you can't just drop a newborn baby, she has to hold her. And those of you that have ever held a baby, it's very difficult to stay completely indifferent to this little, soft, squirmy thing. And Andy looks down and it's quite a nice baby actually and then it starts to whimper a bit so she, her arms just automatically start to rock her and then baby's hands they're very strange even newborn babies are born with something called a gripping reflex and so when Andy's finger is there suddenly this baby hangs on to her like this almost as if she's saying I like you you're my big sister and Andy softens. and then she walks up and down with the baby and and she's just doing this and and dad and Carrie are going phew thank goodness you know this is going to be alright and they've said all along that Andy can choose the name of the baby and Andy being perverse originally thinks of the worst name possible um, which is what her nasty great auntie is called which is Ethel and and you know Carrie isn't very charmed by this but it's very valiant and says she'll stick to it but then Andy softens and then very nicely for me because we're at the end of the book and we said and she chooses Zoe and you wait to see how Vicky and the cast have actually managed Zoe and indeed Zen and Crystal and his other stepsisters it's very brilliantly done and um, the whole thing is just wonderful and even though it's taken quite quite a commitment to get up early on a sunday morning to come all the way to warwick to talk to all of you i'm fully determined that some weekend before christmas i will come back to warwick and see the production again for myself
0: This podcast was recorded at Warwick Arts Centre, part of the University of Warwick. For more information about the Writers at Warwick programme, including future speakers and events, or to book tickets for The Suitcase Kid, please visit www.warwickartscentre.co.uk. The Writers at Warwick podcast was produced by Tom Abbott. The music was written and performed by Dylan Owen.